Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. As I was going to say last year, (laughs) well, time is running short again. So the award for the best performance by an actress, Grace Kelly for the Country Girl. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and today we are going to be talking about the ever-so-famous super gay year, uh, the famous loss of Judy Garland, or the 1955 ceremony year win for Grace Kelly for the movie The Country Girl. Now, this is one of the most controversial wins in Oscar history, and I do want to preface this episode um, for anybody listening, any friends of Dorothy, that um, this is not going to be a historical review uh, with, uh, you know, from a, a film critic of some kind. It's just going to be two people that like movies just talking about their opinion of these movies and making jokes about it along the way. So if you're looking for something extremely serious and academic, Honey, this is not it. But if you're here to be entertained and enjoy yourself, then stick in for the ride. Stay in for the ride. Uh, buckle your seatbelts. What's the expression? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I uh, am not drunk for once, I swear. Uh, today I'm joined by a familiar guest uh, that, you, that has been on the podcast many, many times. He was a writer for Schitt's Creek. And uh, he's just a lovely person. It's Dan Dillabo. Hello, Dan. Hello. Hi, Kyle. Thanks for having me back. I know. How are you? We're doing this in person. Yes, we're allowed to do that now. Yes. It's very exciting. Yes. I I always keep telling people every time that they come to this apartment, I'm sorry I have to turn off my air conditioning to do this because it's too loud. This will be a sweaty recording. It's going to be very... It's like 30 <laughs> degrees outside. Yes. Sun's out. Guns out. Buns out. The whole deal. Yeah. I think we're going to be disrobing throughout the, the <laughs> podcast if you want to imagine that. Be like strip pod. Podcasting. Yes. Great. I also like that you prefaced this episode uh, just by saying, we are two very dumb people who don't know anything. <laughs> Please don't get mad at us. You should see some of the reviews that I get for this thing. I have one review <laughs> on, on like iTunes and it was like some person from like Portugal or something. And they were literally like, Kyle Brownrigg knows nothing about movies, but man, is it fun to listen to or something <laughs> like that. And I was like, thank Thank you. <laughs> that's perfect. I mean, slap that on the uh, on the podcast art. Yeah, I mean, that's like that's the that's kind of a summation of the, of your whole deal. Yeah, kind of a little bit. Yeah, it's like you know I'm learning as I go. You yeah. know what I mean? And um, whatever. If anybody doesn't like it, they can suck my dick. So it's free. It, it's exactly cut us some slack. Yeah, I saw a comic over the over the pandemic do something like that where they're like, "Oh, are you angry about the free content that I'm giving you?" They're like, "Get <laughs> fucked." I'm like, "Yes, I love it. I love it." I just feel like because we're doing a Judy Garland year, it's, there's just going to be a lot of opinions. There's more pressure. It's a very stacked lineup this year. Yes. So it's what Judy Garland, uh, Grace Hepburn. Kelly, Aubrey Hepburn. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that like I like hitters. Aubrey Hepburn. It's Audrey Hepburn. Audrey I like Hepburn. Aubrey. Hepburn. Already, <laughs> That's I'm her alter ego. <laughs> 
Uh, Jane Wyman. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the first um, black female ever nominated in Oscar history, Dorothy Dandridge, mm-hmm. for Carmen Jones. This is a very interesting year. Um, so let's talk about the ceremony year. So Best Picture this year went to On the Waterfront. Best Director went to Elia Kazan for On the Waterfront. Oh. Uh, Best Actor went to Marlon Brando for On the Waterfront. Uh, Best Supporting Actress went to Eva Marie Saint for On the Waterfront. And Best Supporting Actor went to Edmund O'Brien for The Barefoot Contessa. Big year, big year for On the Waterfront. Yeah, I've never, I've never seen that movie. It's really good. It's like, that's, that's a pick that holds up for sure. Really? um, Yeah, you know when uh, the Marlon Brando line where he says uh, I could have been a contender I could have been somebody that's that's on the waterfront uh, that's on the waterfront yes, okay yeah, yeah. I'm not familiar with that line but... oh it's like a famous Marlon Brando I could have been a contender oh, okay um, yeah it's like he's uh, he's this kind of dock worker and they falls afoul of this like corrupt union boss and uh, Ilya Kazan uh, one of the you know, the great directors from this era but also you know his his reputation is kind of clouded a bit by the fact that he uh, testified in in the this was the McCarthy era, mm-hmm. and he basically uh, testified in front of these the HUAC trials, the House Un-American Activities Committee, and threw a bunch of his uh, coworkers under the bus basically for being communists. Oh my god! He like named names. He said this person's a communist. This person's a communist. A bunch of people got blacklisted, uh, and it wasn't until many years later that. <laughs> People kind of realized, oh, maybe we shouldn't have uh, chucked all the people out of the industry yeah. for being communists. So, uh, not a not a great move on his part. But so maybe this will be more of like an academic review. You seem to know quite a bit about this. So actually, that's, that's listeners, this is a po- oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's the end. That's of where it. it begins and ends. We've reached the end of the road with that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, to be fair, uh, for Ilya Kazan, mm-hmm. uh, I would also throw my friends under the bus to further my career. I know you would. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so uh, let's talk about these nominees. So the first person that I want to talk about is Audrey Hepburn and Sabrina. So she had won the year before for uh, Roman Holiday, which is very interesting because Sabrina is almost like reverse Roman Holiday because like in in the holiday, she was like the rich person pretending to be the poor person. But then in this one, she's kind of the poor person, like kind of pretending to be the rich person. That's right. It's a good point. So it's a kind of like a bit of a reverse there. Mm-hmm. Um, Both kind of romantic comedies. Roman Holiday is a little bit more explicitly a romantic comedy. Yep. This one is, this one starts with her trying to kill herself. Yeah. So it's got a little bit more of a dark undercurrent to it. But yeah. still very funny also. Very silly. So first of all, so William Holden is also in this movie because he was also in The Country Girl, but um, the main love interest is Humphrey Bogart, which is so miscast. Bogey. It, he, like that's what most film critics said about this movie. I think he even thought so. I think that he was not the first choice. Um, and he, yeah, he was mainly known for obviously Casablanca, but also like um, the Maltese Falcon and like very tough guy, serious noir movies. Mm-hmm. So this was, I don't think he'd ever done a sort of frothy rom-com before. <laughs> frothy. Uh, he, I don't think he enjoyed the experience. Yeah, I did. kind of the vibe that I get. I really, I thought that he was really, I thought that he was like really miscast for this role. I thought he was a, an, an, an odd choice. Um, so anybody listening that's never seen the movie, um, Sabrina, uh, not the Richard Gere remake in the nineties, but, um, with Audrey Hepburn. So this movie is basically about, um, she's like the chauffeur's daughter to a rich family who has always longed for William Holden. And then she tries to kill herself. 
and then goes to Europe to learn how to cook. So she goes to a fancy French cooking school and learns yep. how to crack an egg. <laughs> the egg cracking was stressing me out. Yeah. I was like, you're doing it wrong. That is wrong. <laughs> like you're just doing, you're supposed to smack it on a flat surface so that it doesn't completely shatter it so that you don't uh, get eggs, eggshell into the actual bowl. I learned it on Rachel Ray and it actually <laughs> works. I mean, it was 1954. They didn't have the egg cracking technology that we do. <laughs> this is very true. They had to make two. We only figured out how to crack an egg like in the 2000s. <laughs> right. Um, and then she comes back from Europe, but then she's all fancy. She's very hot. Yeah, before the, the premise is that you know, when she was... Uh, living in this rich estate before that nobody noticed her because she exactly. was this very shy. Exactly. And then she leaves for like a year and then she comes back. And now Humphrey Bogart and William Holden are both hopelessly in love with her. Yes. And are competing for her affections. Well, what's interesting was that um, the only difference was like, you know how they make, they always say that makeover movies now are literally just like, they just take off the girl's glasses and they're like, whoa, yeah. makeover. She's gorgeous now. They didn't even do that at all in this movie. She, she gets literally a haircut a little bit. She has like, <laughs> like hardly hair. like her hair looked great both times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like you're a model. You're Audrey Hepburn. Like you never look like you don't ever have a glow up when you're yeah. Audrey Hepburn. You don't you don't get better looking. Yeah. And like she just changed her top, and they were like, "Are you Naomi Campbell? You're gorgeous. Wow, I'm obsessed with you." Like nothing <laughs> changed about her except for just. She just dressed a little bit nicer. Mm-hmm. That was the difference. Yeah, a little bit of suspension of disbelief involved yeah. in this one. It was, it was a little confusing. So, um, okay, so let's let's you know get right into it. First of all, Audrey Hepburn is serving so much face in this movie, like in a good way. She's just always killing it, and I'm obsessed with her. She's very fashionable. This was mm-hmm. part of her uh, like whole brand throughout her entire career. Um, the problem was that uh, the designer of the uh, a lot of the looks, because Edith Head was was, was the one that took credit for all of it, but there was... Um, mm-hmm. And she's like a very famous, iconic, like Oscar-winning costume designer. And she, I think, was credited for costumes and won an Oscar. She won the most. She has like eight of them, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Edith Head. Yeah, and she, yeah, she won an Oscar for this movie, but it wasn't necessary. She was involved, but it was somebody else, right? It was um, Hub- Hubert de... Hubert de Givenchy is how you would say it Givenchy. in French, but Hubert de Givenchy, which is just disgusting in English. He was actually the one that um, designed that famous dress that she wore when she first shows up and sees the family. Right. And Paramount actually made Audrey Hepburn pay for all of those clothes <laughs> because they were like, oh, it's personal. It's your personal wardrobe, mm-hmm. even though it was part of the movie. And also probably she got paid way less than her male co-stars, I can only imagine. So her co-stars got paid two, three million each and she got paid 150000 bananas. Yeah, for the movie. That seems like a lot for the 1950s. It's crazy. And she, the whole movie is about her and she was yeah. unpaid the least. And she, one uh, uh, trivia I read on IMDb is that uh, Hubert de Givenchy only agreed to, to work with her to design clothes for her because he heard Hepburn and thought it was Catherine Hepburn. Right. <laughs> like, oh, of course. And he had never heard of, he, he had no idea there was another Hepburn at the time. Right. Well, of course. Uh, but yeah, the, the dress that he designed for her was, became like an iconic, like little black dress, I guess. Uh, the, the, it was called, uh, the Sabrina, it's called the Sabrina neckline. And oh. that was Givenchy's black cocktail dress. It was that sort of not, it, it was more like a, it, it wasn't as deep of a neckline. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean for the fifties. Um, but let's talk about Audrey Hepburn in this movie specifically. So, um, she's super creepy. Uh, she basically like stalks from, like she, she hides in a tree Mm -hmm. in the shadows. 
staring at William Holden like his whole life, like while he's growing up, which is creepy. And then um, she becomes obsessed with him to the point where he is off doing his own thing with another girl. And then she just decides that she's going to kill herself by locking herself in a garage and turning on all the cars and letting like the carbon monoxide Mm -hmm. kill her over this man not being interested in her. Yes. And then Humphrey Bogart is there to rescue her. Yes. Uh, And then so then she goes away to France. And when she comes back, (laughs) uh, everything's changed now. She named the dog after William Holden that she now yes. has, which is also another red flag mm-hmm. of a very problematic behavior uh, when you're borderline stalking someone. Is to name animals after them? Yeah. And to kill yourself over the fact that he was just hanging out with another girl, <laughs> I think is a little dramatic, is how I would describe that on Audrey Hepburn's part. It yeah. was a confusing time. It was The war was <laughs> over. Everybody was crazy. Uh, yeah, it was. So she. So he's now hopelessly in love with her. And but but he's supposed to be engaged to someone else. So the business, the family business, is is uh, complicating things with their relationship because Bogart wants Holden to get married to this other woman so they can like align their family businesses. Yeah. And and but also you know Humphrey Bogart is just like this kind of nerdy number cruncher like you know capitalist guy. But now he's he's having feelings that he's never felt before. Yeah. Uh, In the yeah. most Humphrey Bogart way ever. Mm-hmm. Where he's very kind of stern. And, yeah. And <laughs> I never thought that I would uh, fall in love with a girl like this. But you know, like, it's just that weird. And then he's like contemplating, like talking to no one monologue mm. with like one hand in his pocket. It was just very like visions of Castle. Like I just, I hated him in this movie. He sure. was just the wrong choice. It's very unusual. Very uh, unusual. A lot of, what do we like about this? I, there's a lot of odd slapsticky jokes involving this, like, this plastic that the company makes. Yeah. Uh, and at one point, um, uh, Holden has this thing where he keeps, like, stealing champagne glasses to, like, take, and, like, putting them in his back pocket to, like, you know, take them away to his fiance. And then at one point he sits on them and gets a bunch of shards of glass in his ass. Yeah. <laughs> and so they have to design a special plastic hammock For with, like, butt. an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> so it's... It's a very silly joke that kind of <laughs> felt out of place in this movie, That I, but I very much enjoyed it. I think that in this particular movie, I always love Audrey Hepburn in any movie because I love the way that she speaks mm-hmm. because like she's from Europe, but she has this sort of like cute little accent um, that, and then she also has that 1950s dialect where she, my favorite line was, Oh, David, would you like to kiss me? And like, just things (laughs) like that. Yeah, it's just these weird like, oh, I do. I love you. I love you so much. Like just these weird sort of this sort of strange way of speaking. It's like a mid-Atlantic accent. It's weird. I'm obsessed with it. But, um, you know, I think maybe why she couldn't crack the eggs in this movie was because of the brain damage that she had from the carbon monoxide. Um, I also think that uh, this movie was personally responsible for tearing a hole in the ozone layer. We were talking a plastic factory. We're talking about running vehicles Mm -hmm. for absolutely no reason. There was one scene where Audrey Hepburn was literally just brushing her hair in the dark, just humming a nursery rhyme like, la, la, 
Like, it was just like a, a weird, doll kind like, of life. just creepy. She was very creepy in this movie, is what I'm yes. saying. Very stalkery, very creepy. Mm-hmm. She does, yeah, she looks like a, a, a porcelain doll a little bit. Gorgeous. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just gorgeous. It's a very fine line between, yeah, okay, I see where you're coming from. I mean, naming your dog after a man that you're obsessed with, and then at one point one of the lines was like, oh, this is so much more fun than watching you in that tree. Like, just weird lines and creepy lines. I love this movie, but maybe not for the reasons that was intended. Yes. I thought it was funny. It's funny. It's very fun. It's very pleasant. It's a nice, it's a charming little rom-com. Uh, it's, um, yeah, Billy Wilder directed this, who did uh, The Apartment and Some Like It Hot and mm-hmm. lots of uh, classic movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very well directed. Um, mm-hmm. I found a few uh, more tidbits of trivia on IMDb, if okay. I can share them. So uh, Cary Grant was supposed to play the the Humphrey Bogart role originally, uh, which you, I think might have been a better casting choice. Much, much, much better. Uh, Bogart uh, replaced Cary Grant, uh, who dropped out because apparently he did not want to carry an umbrella on screen. Sorry, I was drinking water. Yeah, I actually saw that as well. I was like, what? Like, what kind of an umbrella? Like a like a beach umbrella? Like how? Maybe he thought it would look, make him look like a, a dandy, like a Charlie Chaplin. Kind. He didn't want to seem silly, I guess. Oh. I think a lot of this stuff also, when you hear anecdotes like this, it's like, this is spurious. Yeah. Like maybe <laughs> right. take it with a grain of salt. Sure. Very funny, if true. Um, yeah, apparently the production was very tumultuous. Um, started without a finished script. Um, yeah, Bogart kind of hated everybody. He thought Holden was uh, terrible. He thought Audrey Hepburn was very unprofessional. She had to do a bunch of takes, apparently. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And she, yeah, she was a very kind of... Well, yeah, was she... She wasn't even, like, an inexperienced actress, but I guess she was... Well, she had just won an Oscar, yeah. Yes. Um, and then uh, she had uh, an affair with uh, William Holden during the production of this movie. Oh, my. Uh, but apparently, Audrey Hepburn broke it off upon learning that he couldn't have children. Oh. So apparently, it got pretty far to, to the point where they were like, yeah. are we going to get married? But yeah. she wanted... She, she wanted what he couldn't give her. I love I love Audrey Hepburn. I watched a documentary. She, she had a really sad life, actually. Yeah, she died pretty young, too, right? Mm. Who am I thinking of? No, well, I mean, I don't think she was that young. I think she probably would have been, Maybe like... I'm getting her confused with every other iconic actress of this era <laughs> who died very Maybe young. Maybe she did. Well, I know, I know that she... I think she died in the 90s, and this was just before she had won her Grammy for Best Spoken Word Album, making her... EGOT like she was mm-hmm. kind of EGOT at like the last minute oh yeah she did she died at 63 so yeah she was kind of young oh, okay. in 1993 yeah um overall um I always loved watching Audrey Hepburn I would totally watch this movie again I thought it was a really fun performance I thought it was really funny um but I wouldn't really say it was like a serious kind of movie it was like I maybe laughed more at than with in this particular movie because it was so yeah. silly but Audrey Hepburn is like serving so much face and she just looks so amazing and like I can't take my eyes off of her and I just love that she is old Hollywood she is like that actress where she's mm-hmm. just so iconic I can't take my eyes off of her so I would definitely revisit this movie um, but it is quite silly and her character is quite troubling <laughs> yeah no I mean to it I, that is the main appeal of a movie like this is just three of the like most iconic actors of their generation yeah you're playing off each other it's worth it just for that alone mm-hmm. it did uh, yeah it's perfectly fun it made me mainly want to rewatch Roman Holiday again yeah totally Takeaway. Totally. 
I get that. I would have picked William Holden personally over Humphrey Bogart. Um, and uh, yeah. Okay. So unless you have anything else that you would like to add, we can move on. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> this is what I'm so excited to talk about. Okay. Let's talk about Jane Wyman in Magnificent Obsession. Yes. So speaking I... of troubling. <laughs> I'm kind of obsessed with this one. I'm, I'm kind lie. of obsessed with this one too. I I enjoyed this movie, mm-hmm. but again for the wrong reasons. Yes, correct. This is the um, the once is not enough of this particular. That's movie. right. That is a throwback to the last podcast episode we did. Yep. Uh, yeah, I feel like with these older categories, there's always one movie that is just that's snuck in that is flat out insane. It is flat out insane. I think this is the one with Rock Hudson. Yeah, Jane Wyman, Rock Hudson, uh, this is a Douglas Sirk mm-hmm. film. He was really known for these kind of, um, you know, very, like, elaborate technicolor melodramas. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, him and, and Jane Wyman and, and Rock Hudson would team up again the following year for All That Heaven Allows, mm. which is, like, I, I, that is kind of a, like, big-time Hollywood classic. This is, this one was just, I think, the... <laughs> Getting getting warmed up, sure. Getting their feet under the precursor to something good. I believe um, it was based on a book, also. It so is. it's sometimes it's like there's only so much you can do when when the story already <laughs> exists and you can't really change anything. It's like I literally okay. <laughs> so let's if anybody has never seen Magnificent Obsession, so obsession. So what this movie is is that Rock Hudson is like a playboy rich party guy who was in med school, but then he just dropped out because he didn't want to do that. And then he gets into this horrible boating accident. Speedboat Speedboat yes. accident. <laughs> and then when they resuscitate him, the doctor that they borrowed it from also had a heart attack. And because the uh, resuscitation equipment was being loaned out, they couldn't resuscitate the doctor who was mm-hmm. so respected in the community. So then, um, you know, uh, Rock Hudson feels so bad and guilty. And then he goes to the widow. Who and everyone is, kind of resents him in the town now because everybody, he's this yep. kind of loser playboy and yep. he lived, but this doctor died. Died. And then Jane Wyman is the widow of the doctor. And then he's trying to apologize by stalking the living shit out of her to the point where she's trying to escape him. And then she gets hit by a car and then becomes blind. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then, he tr- <laughs> and then he lies to her and manipulates her trust to fall in love with her while she's blind. But yeah, by pretending that he's like Someone working else. at the hospital, he makes up this kind of character and they start hanging out <laughs> together and then eventually they she falls in love with him yep. and and they're about to get married and he's like by the way i have to confess i'm that guy from earlier <laughs> that kind of sort of killed your husband a little bit and her reaction basically is i think i knew all along but it doesn't matter now because <laughs> i love you which is such a bananas like yep I, I really feel like there should be a conversation. I <laughs> know. <laughs> there's there's a lot of problematic things going on Before in this movie. Before you barrel forward with this marriage. But literally, I wrote in capital letters on my notes. I was like, he blinded her? <laughs> like... One of many truly bizarre... I don't know if it's a directorial thing, but it, it is unclear why her getting hit by a car. And then her, she's no like broken bones or anything. No. She's totally fine, except she has gone blind. Just totally, because there was like a lesion on her brain or something and she couldn't she couldn't see anymore okay so in um 1950 uh jane wyman won an oscar for a film called johnny belinda um i found the beginning to be very confusing because um 
I, I, it was very unclear that Rock Hudson was like the one hogging the resuscitation equipment so the other doctor died. And it wasn't until about 20, min 20 minutes in where it was sort of explained. So the beginning, I was just very confused by of like why people were mad and mm -hmm. what the drama was. And I was like, did I miss? I must have rewound it like three times. And I'm like, what is going on? Right. I had to Wikipedia it and I was like, oh, they just there's haven't little, explained there's, it. There's a lot of characters very early on and it's kind of, you're playing catch up trying to figure out who is who. I wasn't totally sure what this resuscitation <laughs> Is it like, I think it's a defibrillator or something? Probably. It's a little unclear. Oh, it's very unclear. Um, also, Jane Wyman kind of has like an Olivia Coleman face going on. A little bit. A little yeah. bit. See um, that for her. I think we talked about Jane Wyman before on this podcast when we talked about The Yearling, which is the Boy and His Deer movie. That's right. Uh, so we won't dig into her sordid past too, too much, but she was married to Ronald Reagan. Oof. Um... And, uh, yeah, that's... <laughs> Good thing they broke up. I hate Ronald Reagan. <laughs> most most gay people do. Um, and, uh, oh, well, and then at one point, Rock Hudson wants to, like, buy her out by being, like, I'm so sorry I, quote, unquote, killed your husband, so let me give you $25,000. And then she's like, no, because I got integrity. Mm -hmm. And she, like, you know, then eventually... I don't know. Like, this is just a weird movie. Yeah, the, so the subplot here is that um, the doctor who dies, who is the, the, was the husband of Jane Wyman's character. Dr. Phillips, yes. Yeah, and he basically was, was, had spent his whole life practicing this just kind of radical selflessness where he would just give money to anybody who needed it. And like, it's not a loan, just take it if you, if you need it and don't worry. And this is, this is how he was sort of, you know, cultivating good karma or whatever. And now, now that he's died, all of a sudden, people, all these people start coming out of the woodwork to Jane Wyman saying, I need to give you this money that my husband lent me. Um, and so, anyway, Rock Hudson finds out about all this, uh, that, this was, that this was the doctor's magnificent obsession, which is just kind of living a selfless life, basically. And this sure. kind of motivates him to, to turn his life around and, and go back to med school and, and try and heal uh, Jane Wyman. And it feels to me like this would not happen like the <laughs> some if you were in love with someone like if you were married or their fiance or whatever that you would not perform the operation to restore their sight it feels like a conflict of interest to yeah me. right because um, yeah but he does it and it works it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah at the very end well yes. that's i think a lot of jane wyman's sort of oscar-ness is the fact that they're like wow she's playing a blind person so brave one but I think it's it was not that more... hard to do. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, no disrespect. Stare blankly. Yeah. If you can, I can, I can kind of do it right now. This would be better if this was a video podcast. Yeah. <laughs> wow, you're nailing it right Thank now. You I can so see. Much. I can see. I can see. But no, I think that a lot of her Oscar performance here is just sort of more when she has to come to terms with the fact that. Um, you know, they can't operate on her. Well, like, when they when she thinks that they can't operate on her and she has to come to terms with her blindness and then mm -hmm. she's like, I'm sad now. And then she's, um, you know, sort of crying whenever she finds that out and she's sort of slowly coming to terms with her reality and stuff like that, stuff like that and really getting to know Rock Hudson. But I think that her nice, her big Oscar moment was sort of at the end when she realizes that she will see again. Mm -hmm. The dialogue was absolutely garbage because they were like, you can't be excited about it today. And she was like, what if I'm excited about it tomorrow? And they're like, yes, you could be excited about it tomorrow. And then she was like, oh, I will. And like, it just, 
I hated that. Super soapy. Um, yeah, I will, full disclosure, I did something with this one, which you're not supposed to do if you're a movie fan, but okay. I watched it on like 1.5 speed to save time, <laughs> uh, just because I was uh, a little crunched for time. And so sure. this is a very languidly paced movie, but the way I was watching it, everyone was talking very fast, and it was like a screwball, like rat-a-tat-tat dialogue, <laughs> yeah. which I would argue makes it better. So if you if you do choose to watch this movie, maybe consider uh, cranking up the pace. Yeah, okay. <laughs> artificially. Well, the, the, and the way that they told stories back in the day is it is a much uh, slower process yes. of telling the story. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's when I start checking out my phone, checking my email. I'm kind of like getting a little like, okay, I'm like getting a little bored. Um... Not with this movie, because I literally yeah. was like, what the fuck is happening? It is jam-packed with, there's all kinds of crazy stuff uh, peppered throughout. I wrote down a couple moments that I really liked. Uh, one is the fact that they, uh, when Rock Hudson and Jane Wyman meet for the first time, it's because he has just escaped from the hospital, and he like falls down a hill. <laughs> yeah, that's and right. it's shot in this very odd, wide, where you just see her driving her car along uh, around a corner in the road, just as he tumbles down a hill and comes <laughs> like a to homeless drifter in yeah. a ditch yeah <laughs> and that is how they meet it's very very silly uh and then the other one which i loved is at one point a rock hudson goes to this kind of like classy bordello um it's like a very sort of up and lots of like upscale you know prostitutes around and and there is a place that he frequents and he's kind of like chatting them up but he's you know pining for jane wyman so he's like I gotta go. And they're like, no, stay. And he's like, sorry, baby. And then he kisses this one that, that he's just, that he's talking to, but in a crazy way where he grabs her entire face, <laughs> not, not like, you know, one hand on either side, but like left hand on the neck and right hand covering her eyes, like an up and down grab. And then, yeah. And then, Smooches her. I mean, to be fair, one of he's the most, gay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so, trying his best. So that was, perhaps that's why he had to do it. He had to cover her entire face so he could <laughs> he'd pretend that Think he was Think of Brando. Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, he definitely, so whenever she was blind and he was like comforting her um, by basically taking advantage of her blindness, regardless of where his heart was at, it was still really fucked up that, you know, he was essentially at the center of like all of her problems and he couldn't respect her boundaries or her mm-hmm. privacy. And there was just a lot of, um, things that kind of drove me nuts. And then eventually she was like, Oh, I do. I love you. I really do. As it always That was the biggest cop out for me is that she uh, forgave all of his, his debauchery almost immediately. <laughs> I know. And then she's like, oh, I knew it was you. And then she asks, he asks her to marry. And then um, she doesn't want to because she doesn't want him mm-hmm. to be burdened with her when technically he's like somewhat responsible for her being blind in the first place. So it was like, she's this martyr, which um, I found annoying as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, female characters were written by men very differently back in the day. Um, And uh, honestly, anybody listening to this, if you were looking for just like a really funny, fun movie to watch, I would totally recommend watching this. But if you're looking for like a serious film, maybe don't check this out because it's just, it's very dated. It's, yeah, delightfully bananas. And then, yeah, she, she, yeah, she becomes sort of like a sleeping beauty character near the end. And then Rock Hudson must perform the surgery to 
save her or you know you know quote unquote like kiss her like in the in an enchanted forest and then she wakes up she realizes that she's going to see again well eventually and then she cries and she's happy and then the big hollywood ending and then that's the end yeah that's yeah. that basically sums it up <laughs> she was maybe she, you don't have to watch this movie yeah. <laughs> I think you kind of hit like all the 60 year old parts. spoiler totally uh, but you know it's just yeah Jane Wyman she was she was um she was good in this movie, but frankly, I found the performance just to be really silly and kind of funny. Yeah, there's only so much you can do with this kind of uh, material. I think she gave, she did her level best. Yeah. 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 Okay, let's talk about Dorothy Dandridge in... I had one more thing. Oh, oh so sorry. You mentioned yes, that yes, Rock yes. Hudson uh, was openly gay. This is with... Or not openly gay. This is kind of an open secret, I guess, in Hollywood that, that he was gay at the sure. time. Um, I'm going to bring down the podcast. I'm sorry. But he, uh, he was one of the first... It's probably the first major celebrity to die of AIDS. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that was a big thing, uh, obviously very tragic, but that was a big thing that kind of um, caused a lot of people to wake up to the to the severity of, of the, the crisis at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was in the 80s. Ronald Reagan was president, famously ignored the AIDS crisis for yeah. many, many years while, you know, thousands of people were dying. So you could argue that uh, Jane Wyman's ex uh, led to uh, Rock Hudson's death. That's my that's my magnificent obsession conspiracy <laughs> theory that I'm going to put out there. Maybe. Hey, best actress listeners, enjoying the show? Want to hear more? Access our entire catalog of best actress episodes from the very beginning, ad free, by subscribing to our Patreon at Patreon.com/bestactress. By subscribing, you will also gain access to new episodes one day earlier than their normal release day. Best Actress Podcast will always have 10 free episodes available, but with the release of a new episode, the oldest will go to Patreon, where you can access it anytime with your subscription. Come on, ladies, it's a Fritz Bernays. It's no question. Visit patreon.com slash bestactress to subscribe. So now we're going to talk about Dorothy Dandridge and Carmen Jones. So she was the first African-American female to be nominated for um, lead actress um, and then I don't think that it would happen again until 1972, 1973 with Diana Ross and Cicely Tyson, which is, it's like a 20-year gap, uh, mm-hmm. which is very troubling. Um, I'd never seen this. The original Oscar is so white. Yeah, the original, exactly. <laughs> Aside from all, all of the many years leading up. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. Um, and uh, Dorothy Dandridge starred opposite um, Harry Belafonte for this movie. Um, and this uh, film was sort of a, I guess, modern take on George Bizet's opera called Carmen. Mm. And, uh, there were a couple musicals this year. It was a big year for, for musicals and musical-adjacent movies. Yeah, and in this movie, they kind of modernized it by doing it on a military base at the beginning. And um, Carmen Jones is sort of this, like, spitfire, sort of... Kind um, of a vixen. Vixen, flirty. Yeah, she's um, also very superstitious uh, character. She's very flirtatious, very confident. And what is um, it? She's working in, like, a munitions factory. It's she like makes a parachutes. Parachute factory, yes. Yeah, that's what it is. She makes parachutes. So it's said during World War II. I should say yeah. this is, uh, this is Hammerste- Oscar Hammerstein wrote this musical. I think it was a stage musical first. He adapted it from the original opera. Uh, and this is Hammerstein of Rodgers and Hammerstein fame. Mm. It, well, so uh, in this movie, uh, Harry Belafonte is a soldier who is engaged. And then Dorothy Dandridge kind of comes in and like, so she 
gets into a fight at work. She causes a ruckus and she's getting like court-martialed or something. They have to like take her away to military prison. To military. And then and Harry, so Belafonte Harry Belafonte is the escort. Yes. And then they and like... he's engaged to this other woman who's very sort of prim and proper. Yes. And he's at first, he's like a little like, who is this, you know, wild outspoken woman? But then they fall for each other. Yep. I think... Very sweet. I think they do it on like their first date Mm -hmm. and then which is so scandalous and then um you know uh harry belafonte because he because she runs away and escapes yes and then harry belafonte yeah and then he gets busted and then um he becomes obsessed with dorothy dorothy dandridge and then they kind of run off together. They have to escape to, to Chicago with this boxer, and she's like part of his entourage now. Yep. And then he, uh, the military is chasing down uh, Harry Belafonte, and then um, on the quest to find Harry Belafonte, Dorothy Dandridge realizes that she's trapped him and she feels bad that she's trapped him, so she pretends that she's not interested in him and she's interested in this boxer. And then he kill Harry kills her. Mm-hmm. It's a very tragic. It's I think that's straight from the opera uh, because in the olden days, if you were writing an opera, uh, everyone had to die at the end. That Everybody the had rule. to die. tragic love story. No exceptions. Okay, <laughs> and uh, so okay. First of all, um, I should say when I when I watched this, I didn't. It didn't occur to me that it was based on the opera because there are a lot of very famous songs in this like the one that's like dun 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 and i was like is that that from this movie and then i remember i afterwards i was like oh yes it's a it's a famous italian opera and i am a moron no most of the uh most of the actors when they were singing were dubbed so uh except for one of the one of the actor one of the actresses was not but um dorothy dandridge at the excuse me, at the time was actually known as a sort of a lounge singer, like a, a nightclub singer. Mm-hmm. So she could sing. And Harry Belafonte is like very famous uh, as a singer. That right. was like his main thing. So yeah. it, it feels a little odd that they were both. Yeah. I guess maybe they both, they didn't have opera training. That's what it was. Yeah. It's okay. because they, they didn't, they weren't exactly, they weren't trained for, for opera. But um, what I liked about Dorothy Dandridge's character in this movie was that she would start fights with other women and she was so sexually confident. I don't really know if this was a thing during the time, but do you remember the scene where she like takes off her dress at one point and she's just wearing like bra and like an, un- or, like her bra and like underwear or whatever? Mm-hmm. I'm like, whoa. Like, would you be able to, like, see that in the 1950s? Like, was that, like... It would have been very risque, certainly. Yeah. yeah. And I love that. I love how, like, sexually confident she was as a character. I love that she didn't put up with anybody's shit. She basically said, like, you can't tame me, if you will. She's mm-hmm. like, I do what I want. And I think that for the time, a female character being so, like, independent and confident, and, like, I don't need a man in the 50s was probably very like whoa yeah very this is incredibly trailblazing and a lot of it seems like a little kind of quaint now but it is yeah at the time this would have been uh i guess pretty revolutionary and i think a lot of that was i think this was an independent film it was financed independently and a big part of that was because um otto preminger the director uh you found it very difficult to get a major studio behind a movie like this with all black cast it would have been like sort of uh, very difficult to finance, so, but he managed to get financing from other sources. Yeah. Uh, and so maybe that gave him the leeway to, to you know, take more chances. I think, I think one of, like, uh, just, like, whenever she tries to steal Harry Belafonte from his fiance, 
It's like she just doesn't care. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, um, again, because of like the moral fabric of America at the time, that type of move from like the lead character doing something so, you know, oh, you're breaking up an engagement. Like, how dare you? Like, this horrible woman. Like, again, that's like a risky kind of thing to do as like a lead character oh, yeah. in, a, in a movie. And, and so I... I just really liked her character. I thought that she was really fun and interesting. And whenever she tries to run away from Harry Belafonte when he's escorting her to prison, she just like jumps on a speeding train. Like, yeah, it rules. <laughs> I, I, I really, really liked her in this movie. Yeah, great songs, great performances. Um, a lot of really long takes. Uh, they're, they're very comfortable just kind of letting scenes breathe and letting letting moments play out yeah. uh, in a way that felt very exciting. Mm-hmm. I did find the operatic singing to be not my cup of tea. Sure. I really don't know. I mean, if... Because if Dorothy Dandridge and Harry Belafonte were known for singing, it's like, why didn't you just let them sing it? But I like, think they were kind of stuck in... Like, they, you couldn't go too far outside the parameters of, of the thing. Because that was the whole pitch, was that this is a right. straight adaptation of... Right. We have... we have, The play exists. We're just going to make a movie of it. Well, okay, so... But in France... They couldn't Lin-Manuel Miranda eyes. Yeah. <laughs> but in France, theaters were not allowed to show this movie for 25 years because the heirs of the French... Liberus, uh, li- librettists? librettists, that's the word, thank you, of uh, the original opera Carmen sued 20th Century Fox for using different lyrics uh, to Bizet's music. That rules. I love it. Yeah. They were like, no, like it just, we can't have it. So maybe it was actually kind of a little bit different and they did take liberties with it. And I feel like, and I, I know what you're saying about like that was part of the pitch, but what I mean is like, I don't know, like, I would have liked to have heard Dorothy and Harry, like, sing, like, actually sing. Because it, it was a little weird when they would start singing, and it was so high operatically. Yeah. And we and you know going in that it's lip-synced. And I'm sure there is a, a conversation to be had about um, black characters basically having their voice replaced by white opera singers. Right. It's a little, it's not the kind of thing that would happen today, I, I hope. <laughs> Why? Uh, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> That's, mm. uh, but in the character, she's a character that just... Loves to stir the pot. She loves um, the drama. I what I loved about her was that she was not the girl next door. That was Harry Belafonte's uh, fiance, and that's what sort of made her so interesting because uh, she wasn't complacent. She made her own decisions, and she was just very fun and interesting to watch. I really liked her in this movie. Yeah, she's really good. Um, yeah, apparently she she auditioned and and. Uh, for Otto Preminger, the director, and was cast and, and then kind of had a, a crisis of, of confidence a little bit. She wasn't sure she could carry a movie. And Preminger basically like went over and convinced her, like, no, you're the person. It's you. And this led to them uh, having an affair, starting up a relationship that lasted for four years, apparently. Oh, wow. And when this movie premiered at Cannes, they were like on the red carpet together. And that was very uh, striking at the time. Um, and she, um, yeah, they were together for four years, I guess. And it's been suggested that part of the reason that her career kind of declined after this is because Otto Preminger, now that he had made her a star, he was like, no, you only need to take lead roles now. Right. And so she was being offered all these kinds of exciting supporting roles in like big movies. But but she had been kind of convinced like, no, I'm, I'm a lead. And that, you know, 
the roles maybe weren't quite there for her, and that ultimately led to her career kind of falling into decline a little bit. Isn't so, that so, so little, sad? Yeah. She was asking for what she felt that she deserved, and then it was her demise because probably her skin color mm-hmm. and her gender. It's incredibly frustrating, yeah. And incredibly I think there, I believe there yeah. is... Um, I haven't seen it, but there's a, a movie um, with Holly Berry that's like a biopic of her life that kind of digs into this a little bit. Yeah, she won a Golden Globe for it in the 90s. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I think it was... A, yeah. I think it's called Dorothy. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, another uh, couple more um, trivia bits I found on IMDb. So this is the opening titles. Uh, they're kind of like um, animated with the rows and stuff. They were designed by Saul Bass, who's a very famous... Um, t- opening titles designer and poster designer. He did like uh, North by Northwest, Psycho, mm. Shining, all kinds of famous. And this was his first movie. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so it's like a very sort of iconic, um, distinctive look on the credits. Love it. Um, and then uh, one thing I really loved is so most of this was shot on the the just like a studio back lot, except there's one scene with the kids, the chorus of kids that was shot at an actual working dynamite factory. Yes. And the, yeah. and, uh, and so the parent, the parents of the kids were performing, uh, had to be on set. So they showed up and, and the crew just kind of put them over to one side. And so they would just sit on boxes of explosives at the factory and smoke yeah. cigarettes. Yeah. I saw that too. I while was they like, were watch, watching their kids work. <laughs> that sounds fun. So this movie almost, uh, exploded probably. Well, it's interesting because, so just talking about um, her character in this movie, she essentially helped Harry Belafonte, his name was Joe in the movie, she basically helped Joe kind of ruin his life, and then she chose her old habits to protect him uh, by getting with Harry the boxer, and then, like, she, there's this, I don't, there's this weird sort of conflict like conflicting emotion where you're like, I don't know if I have sympathy for her character. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. And I, because it's sort of like, well, she's kind of responsible for it, but she's also kind of like understanding that because of her, like he's trapped. And so you're like, you kind of screwed up his life, but now you're trying to redeem yourself by like making it better. And so I, I, I like that she's kind of a complicated character. I like Mm -hmm. that I have conflicting emotions about her. I thought that of all of the, um, nominees this year she was probably like the most interesting character yeah she's a bit of a cipher for sure which is very exciting yeah and uh uh, Otto Preminger by the way uh Preminger yeah that sounds about right Otto Preminger uh did not I'm really bad at pronouncing all these names uh he actually yeah he didn't think that she was right for the part until she stormed in his office uh for a second interview dressed exactly like Carmen Jones and then he was like there it is the part is yours um Great movie. I would recommend checking it out. Anybody listening to this, it's a really good movie. Worth a watch. Anything else that you would like to add? No. All right. Let us talk about the ever-so-famous Judy Garland in A Star is Born. Um, So uh, she stars opposite James Mason in this movie. Now, everybody knew, everybody knows this Oscar loss. So everybody she thought she was kind she would of like win. far and away the favorite. Exactly. Everybody. She even had um, an NBC TV crew go to her hospital because she was having her son. She mm-hmm. was in the hospital having her son, and there was an NBC TV crew that was there to record because they all figured that she would win. Oh wow! That is how expected it was. They wouldn't and do that for Anthony Hopkins. No, <laughs> that's very true. They did it for Judy Garland. But they did it for Judy Garland, and. Um, 
the, okay. The thing about, there are so many reasons why she likely did not win, um, but that was more of her reputation professionally, but everything was kind of stacked against her. The studio had basically been responsible for her being addicted to prescription medication. She was on upper, she was on downer, she was on like all of these things to like keep her going because... Uh, at one point, she was their cash cow, like, you know, Wizard of Oz and things like that. Mm. And she had been working since she was, like, six years old. Exactly. So she would, by the time she made this, even though she was, like, 30 or something, she was, like, a hardened veteran. Yeah. And she had substance abuse problems as well. Mm-hmm. Like, not Big just... time hypochondriac. Yeah. She uh, would apparently, like, show up on set for, like, an hour and then leave. And apparently she was very difficult to work with. There were so many things going on in her personal life as well as with these addictions uh, that were basically the fault of the studio system because they're like, oh, these are vitamins. They're good for you. Right. And then she became addicted to them. And then over the years, it just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And Judy Garland is truly a victim. She really is mm-hmm. of the studio system. And um, the reason why she probably didn't win this Oscar is because uh, people simply just didn't like her they voted against her because of her reputation i think i read somewhere it was very close it was a matter of like six six votes six so votes, it, yeah. it wasn't like a sort of total route like there was you know people presumably also uh, really liked grace kelly a lot uh and it was just kind of yeah it's interesting to know like in, in these situations where the person who's so clearly expected to win doesn't win. It's like, maybe there's some kind of industry politics. Maybe there's something that they know that we don't. Maybe she's, you know, a tyrant and everybody knew it. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I mean, I don't think she was a tyrant, but (laughs) certainly there were a lot of, uh, there was a lot of politics at play here. Well, it's interesting though, because if a man is like that on set, which like has been documented throughout film history for, since the beginning of film, yeah, it doesn't matter. She's just being a guy. But if a girl does it, she's a cunt, she's a diva, she's mm-hmm. a bitch, whatever, which I think is very, very interesting. So very quickly, A Star is Born. This is I the mean, second. There are, there are four of these. Yeah. The first one was Janet Gaynor. Yeah, in the 30s. And then this is, I think this is kind of regarded as like the the most, the main one, the most influential one, the, the one that has kind of stood the test of time. Uh, the best. Uh, there was also one in the 70s, I believe, with Barbara Streisand. That didn't quite pan out the I way. I have not seen. I've never seen it either, but I've, I have never really heard good things. But basically, um, I heard, so the way that I've heard is that this Star is Born is like the best one, and then the second best one is the Gaga one, and then the third one is the 1930s one, and then the fourth one is the Barbara Streisand version. Okay, good. Those are the two that I've seen, so I don't have to watch you. Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting, even though, because I, yeah, I'd seen the, the most recent one before, and then just like watching this and seeing how many moments were just kind of like lifted directly. Like there's this scene where where Bradley Cooper's like, hey, and then she rolls down the window and, and he's yeah. like, I just wanted to take another look at you. Yeah. And that's in the this one too, in the Judy Garland one. Except it's a, it's a lot less romantic because he says that line and then he waves and then her just off. Kind of shoes her away. Yeah, he's like, you can like, go so now. Dismissive. And she's like, right, okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm done with you. Yeah, yeah. I actually wrote that down. That's really funny. So just just very very quickly. So A Star Is Born. If if you don't know what this movie is about, uh, in this case, it's like you know, um, Judy Garland isn't a singer in this one. She's a actress and singer and dancer. She's a triple threat in this one. Mm-hmm. And um, James Mason in this movie, his name is uh, Nathan? I Something think? like that. I can't remember. Something like that. Uh, he, uh, in this movie... It's similar to, it's like main... 
What was so Bradley Cooper was like Jackson Maine or something? Bradley Cooper was James Mason in this movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the the names were very similar. Oh, probably. So for okay, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna use the actors' names. But anyways, James Mason, he is a super famous actor that's essentially on his way out because he is a raging alcoholic. Norman Maine. Norman Maine. Yes, what was okay, yeah, so Norman Maine, that's right. And he is just a raging alcoholic in this movie. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, I, as a performer who also enjoys the drink, <laughs> some of those drunk, idiot scenes were a little triggering. Yeah, too real. Yeah, a little real. Because, like, I have definitely been on stage drunk, for sure. Not like that. Not, like, stumbling <laughs> around. Like, you probably couldn't tell that I was drunk. But, like, just watching it because you're like, oh, my God, like... What did I do? What did I say? Blah, blah, blah. Like, the scene where he shows up at the Oscars and basically demands that people hire him again. Oh, was that, did that? And then slaps her across the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. It was so, oh my God. So, um. That's almost more embarrassing. Because in the most recent one, it's, he, he pees his pants at the Grammys. Yes. Which that's like, that's a little sad. But the in the last one is like, in the, the James Mason one is like, oh, this is super embarrassing. It's super embarrassing because she's winning her Oscar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, list, I guess Judy Garland got to, a, even if it was a fake Oscar, she at least got to win an Oscar for this movie in some way. Yeah, that's nice. Maybe <laughs> that's why way. they didn't vote for her because they're like, oh, <laughs> you she, already won. she got to yeah. keep the prop one. Um, so James Mason just basically is like, oh my God. Cause she's like singing chorus at this like big fucking swanky theater. And, uh, then he becomes obsessed with her. He kind of plucks her from obscurity and and sets her on the road. Yeah. And then now she, then she becomes even more famous than him. And then he Mm -hmm. walks into the ocean and and dies. Yeah. It feels like we've done a couple of these movies on, on the podcast. This was a a big thing. People walking walking into into the the ocean dramatically at the end of a movie. To kill themselves. That was it happened it. in uh, in coming home. This happened, and oh, that's one? right, the Woody Allen one also, mm-hmm. um, with Geraldine Page. Oh, and Geraldine Page walked into the ocean. Oh, yeah. wow, windows, interiors, interiors. Yeah. So that... people just used to walk into the ocean all the time. It was just <laughs> de rigueur. How you do it? So in this movie, Judy Garland really gets to demonstrate her range. It's like flawless singing, flawless dancing, flawless acting. Mm-hmm. At this point, a lot of people really didn't regard her as like a dramatic actress uh, because at this point she had been replaced so many times on set by various. Uh, uh, I think she got replaced by like Ginger Rogers on one set, and she got replaced by two other I can't remember but like the point is is that she was known for being difficult so when everyone saw her in this they were like whoa and she really brought the acting chops she brought the thunder in a big way yeah you can certainly like drawing from her own experience her own sort of uh, tumultuous showbiz life Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah it was like really really brought it home great cinematography yeah very lush um I think uh, Technicolor or like, I think he started filming it in Technicolor, which was kind of the thing at the time. And then halfway through, they realized, no, actually, we want to shoot it in CinemaScope, which is a slightly different process. And so they had to scrap all the footage and start again in this new format. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it's a very long, tumultuous uh um, shoot I think it was like 10 months or something crazy everybody hated it everyone yeah. was miserable it got dragged out because uh, Judy Garland's like you know difficultness not showing up yeah being late 
um, coming in and then leaving. And then at one point she got hospitalized for like a pill alcohol situation. So she was just like not really doing well, but you couldn't tell (laughs) because it was a really, really, really great performance. Yeah, they cut it together all right. Um, I did find a little, a few things kind of annoying about this movie. I hate how um, clueless she's supposed to be about like how good of a singer she is, even though like two seconds ago she was performing for like thousands of people in this like gorgeous theater. Mm -hmm. And she's like, what me? No, what do you talk? And like, I got, I found that like a little frustrating. Yeah, that's the bi- so that he kind of like sees her at this big event, and she's like kind of a chorus girl basically, and then he follows her to this kind of second gig at this like dumpy like dive bar, mm-hmm. um, which is like if she was just performing at at dive bars, then it's like oh okay maybe she doesn't have the confidence. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was odd that she like clearly is like bringing down the house in front of like thousands of people well it's interesting because in this movie she does the she she it's like you made me laugh you made me cry you you entertained me like she she like whenever she's going through the studio system process and then she gets her name vicky lester and she's like Mm. vicky lester and she's like she goes through the motions of it she's like vicky lester and she's like Vicky Lester, and she just like moves on with it, and it feels like the kind of thing that is based on her because Judy Garland's name is not Judy Garland, I don't believe. It's no. like it's like like Ethel Gum or something like that. <laughs> probably, I don't even know what Judy Garland's real name so is. So she, I think, that's probably like a wink and a nod to the audience. Like this is what happens to young women in the industry; they are forced to to adopt some uh, stage name that they probably didn't even come up with. Frances Ethel Gum. There you go. Is her real name. Hmm. Well, like Joan Crawford, her, uh, it's uh, Lucille something, and she hated the name Joan Crawford when she got it because she thought it sounded like crawfish. <laughs> she was like, Joan Crawford, what the hell is that? A lot of, a lot of them don't. You get, you get used to it after yeah. a while, I guess. Um, so she is actually singing in this movie, which is like kind of a leg up on Dorothy Dandridge. Not really her fault, obviously, but mm-hmm. um, uh, great, of course, uh, singing. I'm going to elicit the gay gasp by saying this. this is going to be very controversial, but I did feel like some of the singing and the dancing dragged on a little bit. Yeah, there are. I think there are a couple versions of this movie. The one I watched was like a three plus hour. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I feel like that was the kind of completed uh, like director's cut that came out after the fact. But when this came out, I think it was like a tight. And like not all of the musical numbers were in there. Mm-hmm. It um, was, and maybe that had something to do with why it was not super well received at the time. Like I don't think it got a Best Picture nomination this year. Mm-hmm. It was kind. Of, I think it was a box office like Flop. it lost money. It did. Yeah, and, it did. Uh, and it wasn't until years later that you know this this three hour cut came out and people were like, oh, this is now that we've seen the whole vision. Yeah, we get it. Well, I th- there were a lot of parallels into her own life. Like um, whenever they told uh, Norman that a star can't get fucked up and hold up production for weeks, and it's like you know. Yep. Which is basically what Judy Garland was doing whenever she's in the, um, uh, she's dressed up like the littlest hobo there and then she, like basically like a scarecrow from like the Wizard the of Oz. Or was that what it was? No, but it's like she just had that sort of like scarecrow like weird right, makeup right, right. on her and she had that like little straw hat. I don't even know what you, anyway. And, uh, you know, um, the head of the, the studio was like, she's trying to figure out what is it like why does Norman need to self-destruct why does he have substance abuse problems why does he drink why does he have addiction and it's like that was really like for audiences it's like they knew yeah that's Judy Garland like looking inward and sort of having that monologue and apparently George Cukor like 
brought her to that point before the scene mm-hmm. and was like, you know what this is about. So like, and then apparently he, like he brought her to the limit of like emotional breakdown and then they filmed it. And then he was like, that was perfect. And then he just was like, bye. Like he just brought her to the edge and he was like, okay, great. Thank you. That's awesome. Uh, I feel like directors are very emotionally, um, manipulative Manipulative. and destructive and like they almost send their actors on like a kamikaze mission aka like heath ledger yes it's like just be crazy it's your job to bring someone to an emotional breaking point yeah it's just super i don't think this is true of all of them but certainly uh yeah there are people like like kubrick who famously drove his cast insane insane you're gonna do 200 takes of this shelly duvall oh yeah shelly duvall talks about that all the time um, I what I really liked about this movie is um, this was like my second or third time seeing it. I still really liked it. Maybe that's why the musical scenes kind of like dragged on a little bit for me because like I've seen it all before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that her Oscar moment is that dressing room scene. Um, and uh, she, I think <laughs> that what I really respect about her performance in this movie is her acting almost, it didn't, but almost was too much. Yes. Yeah. Almost. But it, it was always just the right amount. But it almost bordered on like a little bit too much, like a little too big, a little too campy. It's interesting because at, at the time, like the sort of theatricality and like over emoting was that was the thing that was it, it was more common for for people to overact. And so someone like kind of making a choice to like turn inward was yeah it would have been like a little a little odd. Yeah, I think. No, 100%. And that's, yeah, and that's why this performance, I think, holds up so well. Whenever she is at the funeral and that stranger lifts up her veil, which, by the way, that was really funny, and she's like, gasp. <laughs> um, somebody actually did that in real life whenever her husband, like, died. Or someone died yeah. that she knew and then, like, went to the funeral and, like, ripped off her veil and scared the shit out of her. Oh, that's fucked up. I don't like that. Oh, I don't like that either. Um, but I, something that I thought was like really funny was just how, do you remember when Norman writes on the concrete wall, the like heart with the lipstick, mm-hmm. but it was still there like years and years later, like no one cleaned it off. Yeah. That's what that chunk of wall is worth some cash. Yeah. It was, that was funny. It was signed by a washed up loser. Um, Marlon Brando was actually asked to play the role of Norman and he was like, why would you pick me? I'm in the prime of my life. If you're looking for an actor to play an alcoholic has been, he's sitting right over there and he was pointing to James Mason. That's very funny. <laughs> oh God, I hope my coworkers don't throw me under the bus like that. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, she actually stole some of the furniture from the set and Jack Warner only found out whenever he was invited to her house for the premiere. <laughs> He was a little lunatic. Yeah, oh, I love it. Um, That's great. Uh, she lost this Oscar by six votes, and uh, she didn't attend the Oscars because she was giving birth to her son, her son Joey Luft, who said that it was the greatest Academy Award she could ever receive. Oh, that's very nice. So, let's talk about our winner, Grace Kelly, for the movie The Country Girl, um, starring opposite... Bing Crosby and William Holden. Our old pal William Holden is back. And he had a big year. Yeah, he had a big year. So uh, the movie The Country Girl is basically about Bing Crosby wanting to have a career comeback. He's famously known for being like an insane alcoholic. And William Holden is producing this play. And Grace Kelly is Bing Crosby's wife. Long-suffering wife. Long-suffering wife. And she's just... Um, 
I don't really understand, like, maybe just because it didn't age well in time, but, like, you know, William Holdham, the producer, like, hates her because she's responsible for Bing Crosby being so awful. Yeah. And I just really didn't understand that aspect of it, but basically Grace Kelly is really Bing Crosby's, like, cheerleader, and she's supporting him, and she's really trying to help him as much as possible, preventing him from drinking, being there for him, and also she kind of, like, is... She, like Bing Crosby is like super fake nice to everybody all the time mm-hmm. and then she has to kind of be like the harsh person by coming in and telling people like hey like you shouldn't be standing outside of his dressing room like you're annoying him and then everyone's <laughs> like oh Grace Kelly is such a bitch but it's actually Bing Crosby the one that's telling her to do it because he doesn't want to seem like I'm like a jerk yeah it is it is interesting it is pretty funny that Grace Kelly won this Oscar over Judy Garland for what is essentially a slightly worse version of the same movie. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> in which she has less to do. Because yeah. Bing Crosby is uh, the star, like the sort of song and dance like uh, actor who is also kind of a raging alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And and Grace Kelly is kind of like a dowdy kind of housewife who is like basically just caught in the middle and is like taking all this like because William Holden thinks that she is like the cause of all his sort of stage fright and insecurity, and but it turns out it's this trauma that he had where he accidentally let his son run into the street. Which, by the way, the way that they edited that scene was comical. This is so it is so hard to do when your character has a traumatic backstory. Uh, it is so hard to shoot these things in a way that is not ridiculous. When the, when a tragic backstory involves an accident, it is better just to not show the accident. Um, because, yeah. I'm sorry, this scene made me laugh out loud. It was so funny. Where his he... son just, in, in the space of five seconds, runs from the sidewalk into the road and is immediately hit by a car. Yeah, dies. like, just... You like, can't sell that. I'm sorry. There's no way in hell. And it, and never. Yeah. No. It was. It was comical. It was comical. Yeah. Um. So she, Grace Kelly, won the New York Film Critics Circle Award for Best Actress, as well as the National Board Review, and she won the Golden Globe for this movie. Mm. So she. It's not like it was this big shock necessarily that like, you know, she did walk away with the Oscar, but I think a lot of people obviously were expecting Judy Garland to win. Um. You know. My first impression of Grace Kelly in this movie was really not what I was expecting because when it was The Country Girl, I thought it was like a movie about a girl in the country who had like a husband that was like abusive alcoholic. Right. That's what I thought this was. And um, I can't remember why it was. I watched this one a while ago now, so I can't remember. Does it explain why it's called that? I don't know why. Was it the play? The play was called The Country Girl? Because I don't know why it was called The Country Girl. But um, my first impression of her character was that, you know, she seems smart, realistic. She's not fake. She's not the ingenue that I was expecting. Mm -hmm. Um, She was like uh, very headstrong. She was uh, very well spoken. She was very frank. And of course, um, William Holden's character uh, was like, I don't like strong women. Um, And he's like, you just kind of feel bad for her because she has to be quote unquote mean sometimes, which mean for the 50s for a woman was basically just either speaking like a man or just speaking honestly. Mm -hmm. And then men were like, you're a cunt. Like it just, that kind of drove me. William William Holden's character in this movie was such a piece. Like I hated him so much. Yes, yeah. Uh, um, But Grace Kelly... Uh, gotta say, I loved her in this movie. I thought her character was very interesting. It was not at all what I was expecting. I thought the 26-year age difference between her and Bing Crosby was like, Bleh. um They really had to bend over backwards to make her not look like 
a, you know, a beautiful 24 year old woman, but to just like, she's in like these cardigans and she, they're, they're really like, oh, we, 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 we acknowledge that this age gap is insane. Yeah. Well, Edith really... Head was the costume designer for this right, as well. Right, right. And she said, I had to take the most beautiful woman in the world and make her look like kind of run of the mill, mm-hmm. like meh. So she's like, I just put her in brown and cardigans. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> um, so, uh, She's described as crusty and cold because she speaks her mind, but really it's actually Bing Crosby that is the crusty and cold one, but then Grace Kelly is kind of the one that speaks for him so that he can look nicer. And um, you find out that Bing Crosby's character was suicidal at one point, um, and then, uh, you know, Bing Crosby's character is always leaning on Grace Kelly, and they're not really in much of a happy marriage, obviously, since they lost their child together and he was an alcoholic, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's very frustrating to watch the Bing Crosby character villainize her. And then at one point, William Holden, like, realizes that he's actually being a dick and then he kisses her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, what? <laughs> so I did not get any chemistry between you two at all. And then you find out that Bing Crosby had a thing for her because he used to have, or William Holden's character used to have a crazy wife, which is why he hated Grace Kelly so much and then ended up falling in love with her and kissing her. Mm-hmm. It was It's I, very melodramatic. There's a lot of, yeah. it's very monologue heavy. I think that's probably why this one kind of went over so well at the time because it's a lot more restrained compared to a star is born it's more of a chamber piece it's more theatrical and it's present it's more it's more presented more like a play Mm -hmm. um yeah totally and and the dialogue is very sort of um yeah it's very kind of uh like raw and brutal for the time and in terms of it's like talking openly about alcoholism and how it ruins marriages uh i feel like that was kind of a new thing to kind of deal with that subject matter honestly uh, like that, so I get why people kind of responded to this one. But yeah, it is. It feels like a lesser version of *A Star Is Born* in a lot of ways. Well, sure, but I mean, also like I just found the plot um, maybe a little confusing. Like at in the end, like she runs off with him, so she stays with Bing Crosby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what happened. Yes, yeah, it's a okay. happy ending. Okay, so it is a happy, well, happy-ish. It would, it, it was very, 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 very weird. Um, apparently on set, Grace Kelly had affairs with Bing Crosby, Clark Gable, William Holden, and David uh, Niven, which, like, just crushing a lot of dick. Good for it you, It was girl. a big year for William Holden. Yeah. Well. <laughs> that did two different movies, yep. had affairs with Audrey Hepburn and Grace Kelly in the same year. Lucky I wonder Holden. if she, if, if Grace Kelly also rejected him because uh, his, his boys didn't swim. Maybe, maybe. Um, I, I think we should get that rumor going. Yeah, let's just start it right here. About this long dead actor. Absolutely. Uh, Jennifer Jones was originally offered the lead role, but she didn't take it because she was pregnant at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, which, if you remember Jennifer Jones, we talked about her in Duel in the Sun. That's right. That we love Duel in the Sun. Gem. Uh, 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 Paramount was actually flooded with letters by Catholics complaining that Bing Crosby was playing a drunk. Because he was a Catholic, right? He yes. Was, okay. Very. And so they thought this was bad for their image. Yep. Along with all the, you know, molesting of boys. <laughs> that just, old, an, just another that old headache that we don't need. Yep. 
Uh, MGM loaned out Grace Kelly reluctantly for this movie, and they said no originally, but she threatened to quit acting altogether, and they were like, fine, and then they made her do this movie called Green Fire, which apparently was so bad, and she <laughs> described it as not what I wanted to be an actress for. Which she did quit acting, it should be noted, because she did have a, you know, she has an outsized reputation, um, but she, I think she did have a very brief career. She made like a dozen movies maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, won her Oscar at, in her mid twenties. And I think she was 26 when she retired. Cause when this movie, oh. um, was at, premiered at Cannes, uh, this was the same year as Carmen Jones. And when she was there, uh, at Cannes promoting it was when she met the Prince of Monaco. Oh. And then they, I think dated for about a year. Date, I don't know if they dated. I don't know how that works. <laughs> Courted but, um, her. <laughs> but yeah, but roughly a year later was when she announced that they were getting married and she was retiring from acting and, and going to be the Princess of Monaco. Wow. And then she did that for the rest of her life and she did a lot of charity work. And she, uh, she also died pretty young in a car accident i believe with her daughter wasn't it something like that yeah can't remember whenever i think of grace kelly i just think of that song oh yeah mika yeah it's like oh i look like grace kelly and that's my only reference of grace kelly and this is the only movie i've ever seen with i tried to watch rear window once but uh it was on tv and i didn't finish it. rear window rules um that was i think those are probably her her most famous Along with High Noon, I think maybe, but um, yeah, she had three movies with Hitchcock. Um, mm-hmm. Rear Window was one of them. It also came out the same year, 1954. I would argue it is a much better movie and a better performance. Mm. So when I first looked at this year, I was like, where is the Grace Kelly nomination for Rear Window? Right. And then I noticed, oh, yes, okay, she is there. She won for a different movie. For a different so movie. That's why. I really, like, I loved her in this movie. I thought it was just really not what I was expecting. I love how she always stood her ground, defended herself. She spoke up for herself. I'm sure for the time that was probably very feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this movie was really not what I was expecting. I very much uh, enjoyed it, except for William Holden kind of ruined it for me, to be frank. Uh, didn't doesn't age well just because he his character was a dick just a huge dick oh sure and like well, that's super not William sexist. Holden's fault oh sure it is. he wrote the movie um, and look don't blame William Holden <laughs> just because his sperm don't work and he can't get any of his co-stars pregnant that's right not his fault that's right he actually handed her um, her Oscar because he had won the year before so oh. when he read out who won he handed it to her that's very it's nice. all very incestuous um, everybody okay. was sleeping with her it was a different time everybody could sleep with whoever they wanted <laughs> Uh, I have one more fact about this movie. It was that uh, when it came out um, on home video in Canada, it was accidentally rated R. Uh, and it was because uh, they got a, the rating board got it confused with a porn film <laughs> of the same name. It was called The Country Girl uh, for different reasons. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I love that. Um, I think that we've arrived at the time to pick who we think the Oscars should have gone to. So you are my guest. So please do me the honor of going first to reveal who you think the Oscar should have gone to. Sure. Uh, yeah, I think the Oscar should have gone to... Uh, Judy Garland. I think it was... Uh, I mean, it's it's this one's like such a towering performance. And it's like she carries this movie... Um, the, the musical numbers are impeccable. It's you really... It really feel like the whole weight of the world is on her shoulders and she really nails it uh, it's a very very hard to play this kind of character um and yeah i think she's the best 
And if you disagree, then a lot of gay people are going to be mad at you. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, they'll be sending like uh, hate mail and death threats. Um, so, okay, great. Love that. Thank you. So, I think the Oscar should have gone to... Judy Garland for Star is Born. Dodged a bullet there. Yeah, I just, I just kind of feel like it's just a slam dunk. I think there's a reason that this Oscar loss was so controversial. Mm-hmm. I think that Judy Garland, this is like, other than The Wizard of Oz, the epitome of Judy Garland, where it's like, you have singing, you have acting, you have dancing. She does comedy in this movie. She does dramatic in this movie. She, It's like her at her most Judy Garland, you know? Mm-hmm. And... Um, A lot of people said that Liza won her Oscar for uh, Cabaret because they were, like, trying to right some kind of wrong for Judy because she lost it for Star Wars. I don't know. But what I do know is that um, of all of the performances, this movie was the longest and the one that kept my attention the most. I've seen this movie more than once, and I enjoy it every single time. Some of the musical things, they drag on a little bit for me, and I will admit I fast-forward through some of them. Uh, But overall, it really does stand up. I love the cinematography. I love um, just... She's such a... I never use this expression, but such a tour de force in this movie. Um, She's so believable as Vicky Lester... Thank God her name wasn't Mo. And I... <laughs> Do you prefer this one or the Lady Gaga one? Do you oh, think? definitely this one. The sure. Lady Gaga one, it's not a stretch for me to see Lady Gaga try and be a pop singer talking about like, nobody liked me because I have a big nose. It's like, okay. <laughs> oh, you know, it's not really a, a stretch. Although she was good in the movie, don't get me wrong. Yes, yeah, she yeah. was very good in the movie, obviously. Uh, but I definitely preferred this one. Uh, Judy Garland for the win. So, yay, we did it. <laughs> um, okay, uh... Thank you, Dan Dillabo, for being a guest on my podcast again. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, I am on... Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it's... <laughs> I can't remember if it's Dan Dillabo or D Dillabo. It's one of those two. Okay. I am on the Twitter and the Instagram. Okay. Well, there you go. Thank you so much for being a guest. We'll definitely have you back next time. Uh, by the way, I, anybody that is listening to this, this will be coming out July 22nd, 2021. Uh, have a comedy special, my very first comedy special that I'm doing at Just for Laughs in Montreal next week. I'm recording it, and uh, it'll be available on Crave TV and CTV Comedy. So Mama's moving up in the world, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Watch Kyle's special. Uh, All right, thanks, guys. We'll see you next time. Did you enjoy the show? Want to hear more episodes? Visit patreon.com slash bestactress to access our entire catalog of episodes ad-free with your subscription. Subscribers also get access to new episodes one day earlier than everyone else. Oh my god. Go to patreon.com slash bestactress to subscribe, and I will see you all at Howard's Inn.